Well, hello, everyone. Uh, it's good to be with you. Let me just say on a personal note, thank you for all of your prayers and concern. I've been in a three-month wrestling match with a kidney stone, and last Saturday, it pinned me to the mat and beat my face in. And so uh, I am really glad that that pain has passed, and I'm uh, really thrilled to be back with you. So thanks for your, uh, your prayers and concern there. We've been in this conversation for the last few months, about the past few weeks, about the unstoppable movement of God. We've been talking about the church and what the church is and what it isn't, and how, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am a part of the church, and therefore the work of the church is my work. And we've just been kind of mauling this through. We've been talking about how it plays out here at Grace Church, and uh, in that process, kind of explaining why we do uh, some of the things that we do. That when we look at the Bible, uh, we, we see a, the church is to be a multiplying movement. We're not a group of people that would find truth and hoard truth. We wouldn't find the gospel. And the gospel is simply that I'm a sinner and Jesus is my Savior. He stepped out of heaven. He came to earth. He lived perfectly. He died innocently. He rose triumphantly and provides the forgiveness of my sin. That's the gospel in a very quick nutshell. So we're not just, the church isn't a group of people who find that, hold it, and like tuck in and hope that yucky people don't come bother us with it. The church is the opposite. We're a group of people who may find that. It changes our lives. And then we go out and we proclaim that gospel. We teach that gospel. We give that gospel away. And so churches are supposed to be movements of God. And so grace is set up this way and always has been, always will be. And that's a lot of why we do what we do. It's why we have multiple campuses. It's why we have a bunch of services because we don't look and say, how do we get everybody to come here so we can have more people and build bigger buildings? And we look and say, boy, if God kind of builds up a head of steam, how do we take that and give it? How do we find places where the gospel is not clear, is not accessible, and take the gospel there by moving the church into that community instead of trying to get that community to come to the church? So that's why the extension is opening next weekend. That's why there's the Norton campus and the, and the Barberton campus that's coming next year and the Medina East campus and the Bath campus that you're sitting in right now. It's because we would look at that and we would take all that kind of literally and say, we, we want to be advancing the gospel of Jesus. And we would look back in church history and say, well, that's what the church has always done. It's, it's nothing unique to us, or it's not because God has put special favor on us, per se. It's just because this is what the church does. The church advances the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, that you are a part of that church. When you accept Christ, you receive your salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. So because I am the church, you are the church, when I look at what the Bible says, what Jesus and others say to the church, he, they're, they're speaking to me. And I move individually, we move corporately, and we advance that gospel. So we've had a big old long conversation about that. I encourage you, if you've missed it and you want the details, uh, go online, graceohio.org. You can, uh, you can listen to those conversations. You can watch them if you want, and you can kind of fill in those blanks. This weekend, though, I want to land this conversation and finish up the unstoppable conversation by talking about the risk and the reward of all of this. Why do we do it? What are we risking in that process? And then what's the motivation? What, what is the grand reward that comes through our willingness to push out and to advance the gospel. 
So it, being here this weekend, this is going to hit you a few ways. It, first of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, uh, when you hear this conversation, this is going to help explain to you why Christians are so weird. Like it's, it's going to help us make sense to you. Like why are they always trying to share their faith? And why do they send missionaries? What, what's their deal? And so you'll, you'll see it here. The, this is the thing that motivates us. If you're our guest here at Grace Church this weekend, this will help you understand why Grace Church is so weird. Um, and because you, you'll look and say, oh, that's what they're doing. I, I couldn't figure out what they were doing. That's what they're doing. If you're a part of Grace Church, then I would say, buckle up. You're at bat with this one. This one's all for you, baby. This is my gift to you, right? And this, this is us, and this is what we do and what we believe God has called us to do. It is our history. That is what we have done. It's what we're doing right now and what we'll continue to do because of our understanding of what the, the, the Bible says the church actually is, okay? So let's dig out a little bit. Grab your Bibles if you got them. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 804. And those Bibles, if you're out in the cafe and you need a Bible out there, they're at the information desk. You can grab one there, same page number. And if you use an electronic device, um, we use the Uversion app, Y-O-U version. You can open that or download it if you want. Hit live event. We are Grace Church, and our zip code is 44333, and all your notes and everything will be right there. Second Corinthians chapter 4, this is the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul was a guy that Jesus said could speak on his behalf. He's one of the apostles. And one of the big things that the Apostle Paul does is he helps the church get on its feet, right? So Jesus invented the church. It's not a, the church is not a man-made invention. Jesus did that. Jesus birthed the church in Jerusalem, and then the apostles came along, and they helped us to understand what, what are we supposed to do with all this. And so the apostle Paul is speaking on God's behalf here, and he's talking to the early church. There is no church history. There's no church fathers at this point. It's all like straight from God, and he's explaining why he is giving his life to the cause and to the name of Jesus Christ. And he explains the risk and the rewards he and others have taken. And he explains his motivation in it. And we would pull that over and apply it to ourselves a little bit. So look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. We'll read it together and then we'll go pick it apart. Verse 1, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we renounce secret and shameful ways, and we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God." For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made this light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. 
So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It's written, I believe, therefore I've spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And there is a ton of stuff in those verses, and we're going to pick a slice of it and apply it to this idea of risk and reward. Why was Paul willing to risk everything? What was he anticipating? What does he tell us to be ready for? And how do we lock into it individually? And then we together make the church. How do we then as a church move forward with it? As you start digging into this, I find it fascinating how Paul frames the whole conversation. Look back at verse one, chapter four. He says this, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry we do not lose heart. It's very fascinating how he sets this up. And in essence, he looks and he says, listen, it's because of the mercy of God that we get to do all this. It's because of the mercy, it's a privilege, it's an honor, it's an invitation. It's the mercy of God that invites us or allows us to do this ministry or to do these works for Jesus as the church. He puts it in a very positive kind of frame. Now, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Because for many of us, when we think about serving or giving or investing our lives in and through the church, we, we tend to think of that as an obligation and a duty. Let's just be honest about it, right? We tend to think that way. We tend to think there's, there's a bunch of stuff I'd like to do with my life, but I got to do church stuff, right? I w- what I really like to be is at the Browns game right now, but I got to go to church because somehow that feels like a sin to skip it. I could have come on Saturday, but I didn't take that option, right? So it's like, here I am. I, what, I re- what I really want, what I really want is a new boat, but I have to tithe or like I go to hell. You don't, but if you want to believe that, it helps, right? So it's like, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll tend to think that way. I, there's, there's things I really get excited about, things I really like to do, but I guess I have to go to, I have to do church stuff this weekend. I, I volunteered, right? And I would say to you, and I think the Apostle Paul would say to you, be really careful with that. Some of that's just us being human beings. It's not the end of the world. But if that mindset starts to dominate us, be super duper careful with it because we can very easily forget that being a part of the church is as much of a privilege as receiving our salvation. It is that close to the heart of God that we are his friends, we are his coworkers, and the church, the called out ones, are his bride, the bride of Christ. Therefore, the ministry of the church, because I am the church, therefore the work of the church is my work, The ministry of the church is a privilege and an honor, the greatest privilege and the greatest honor that you and I will ever be invited to join in our lifetime. And if I don't see it as that, this is what happens. If I don't see it as that, I overplay the risk and I underplay the reward. Man, if I 
if I do the radical stuff that Jeff's about to talk about, then oh, I, it could stump my career. It's going to cost me money. I'm not going to be able to do stuff I want to do. And all I get is like a crown in heaven. Now, let's be honest. We think this way, don't we? See? And we have to be really careful that we don't get that out of balance because all of a sudden this risk will seem overwhelming where the Apostle Paul and Jesus and others will minimize it. It's like, eh, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to die at something in the world. But you get this. You get eternal glory. You get a crown in heaven. You lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Yeah, but I really want a truck. See, that's how it works. So everything we're about to talk about, everything Paul goes through, he, 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 he works it off this privilege mindset. This is the mercy of God that lets us do this. This is the greatest thing you ever get into. This is the highest calling of life. Following Christ and being a part of his church is an invitation that is given to you and that you can and should take. And it leads to the greatest things of your life, but you gotta read it right. Or you wind up resenting the greatest gift, one of them that God will ever give to you. So Paul frames it a little bit. He said that this is part of why we don't lose heart. It's what motivates us. It's what drives us because we view this as a merciful thing, a loving thing, a gift thing that God gives us. He goes on then and he's just basically just saying that we should take pride in being the bride of Christ. That's it. It's something I'm excited about. It's not something that I dread, right? It's something that I'm passionate about. Take pride in it. And because of that pride, we can stand boldly as the church, look at verse two and following, he goes on. He says, listen, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Rather, or we would probably say it instead, we have renounced secret and shameful ways and we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul comes out and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of the church. I'm really proud that this ministry is my ministry. I'm really grateful and excited that God invited me into this. And because I'm proud of that, I, I'm not hiding anything. I, I renounce secret ways. I don't, have any, I don't distort the word of God. I'm not trying to manipulate you. In fact, I'm gonna say the truth plainly so that when you're wondering what I believe, it's pretty easy for you to figure that out. And the church of Jesus Christ, the true church, has always been like that. There, there hasn't been secrets. There isn't a, a secret vault under the power kid's room downstairs full of gold, right? There's no Illuminati behind the scenes. There's not a secret eye of raw staring at you right now. There, there's nothing going on. The church of Jesus Christ, Grace Church, what we believe and what we hold to, we would say plainly because we're actually proud of it. See, We would actually say these are truths that are bedrock truths that we believe and we have given our life to. So for instance, here at Grace Church, I'll say plainly, we believe, frankly, that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven. We believe that he's the one true God and all other religions and all other gods are distortions or heresies of who he actually is. Because we believe that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven, I'll tell you what we're up to, ready? We're evangelicals, and what that means is this. 
It means we want everyone else to stop believing what they believe and start believing and following Jesus. So much so that we'll tell them that and we'll send missionaries and we'll do things to proclaim that truth. You guys believe that? Yeah, straight up. Are you pulling my leg? That was a pretty bad pull, don't you think? Right? No, that's it. That's it. That's what we do. Why do you start campuses? Why do you, uh, because we want that to be more easily accessible to people. We want that truth, that simple gospel, to be out there in the open so that when it connects with you or God causes it to connect with you, you can easily access it. We believe that the Bible is actually the words of God. We believe that far beyond, far beyond being encouraging or far beyond being comforting, that the Bible, the fancy way we say it, is the inspired, authoritative, inerrant word of God. We actually believe the things it says. Really? Yeah, straight up. You believe in a six-day creation? Yep. How can you believe that? I just think a God that raises himself from the dead can probably create vegetation, right? It's not that big of a leap. We, we believe in what, you believe in those old moral standards? Yeah, we really believe. They're, they're the best for you and what God's will is for your life. You believe that you should really govern your whole life by that? Yeah, we actually believe that. When we have a question about something, we would actually go to the Bible and find the answer and then we would actually live that way. And by the way, that is what the true historical church of Jesus has always done. That's nothing new. It's not unique to grace at all. The true historical church of Jesus has never compromised on Jesus being God. That's why most of the disciples were martyred because they wouldn't back off of that point. The true church of Jesus has never compromised on God's word being God's word. That's why you can find old copies of the Bible that will actually be stained with the blood of martyrs because before the Bible could be mass produced or on the internet like it is now, the written word of God was the most valuable thing that you could get your hands on. Guys, men and women would actually throw their bodies on God's word so that it was not consumed by flames or destroyed by those who hated it. You can find it all over the place. And we're just the same way. We, just, we, can just, we can buy our copy of the Bible at Walmart, so we live in a great thing, great age. But we believe in the same authority, same truth, unapologetic. It's what we actually believe. There's no secret. There's no distortion. We're not, not trying to trick you into anything. It's what we believe. And this is what Paul is saying. He's like, I'm, I'm motivated by this. Being a part of this church is, is one of the greatest things that God has ever called me to be. I absolutely believe this. I don't apologize for it. And, and I'm not gonna distort it or manipulate it. I'm not trying to trick anybody. Straight up, that's just who we are, right? Now, that's a bedrock thing of being a part of the church of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been invited into the church and as a part of the true church, that's, what, that's where you land with it. That's where the true church has always landed. It's where it always will land because God will cause that faith to happen in your heart. Now, there's risk and reward. There's a risk and reward to believing that way. The risk is distraction. Because we grew up in a, in a culture, me too, I struggle with it, where I can be distracted by the temporary things around me. Because sometimes I don't really like being a part of the church. I really wish I had my life back. 
Sometimes I don't really like being a part of the church. I really wish I had my tithe back because I do want a new F-150, right? Sometimes I, I, I wish I wasn't constrained by moral standards because that sinful stuff looks a lot more fun and let's be honest, in the moment it is. See? It's distraction. It's the distraction. It's the temptation to just live shallowly. But the reward is passion. I can look at you with everything in, in me, with all honestly, honesty, and say to you, listen, if you give your life to Christ, if you give your life to knowing him and making him known, if you give your life and your time and your money and your energy into the work of the spiritual church of Jesus Christ, it will reward you, it will fulfill you, it will benefit you, and it will ripple throughout eternity. I can say as a part of the church of Jesus that when I get up in the morning and I love Jesus and I love my neighbor and I invest myself with, for the Lord, it doesn't matter what happens or doesn't happen on my to-do list, I can get at the end of that day and lay my head on the pillow and know that that day was well invested because it's the passionate drive of my life. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm the church, right? So there's a risk. You gotta walk, you're gonna walk away from certain things. And there's a reward. You walk in to greater things because of what God has called us to do. Paul goes on here. And he says in verse four, look at it. He said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This is not gonna make sense to people who aren't followers of Jesus, largely. So don't worry about that. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse five, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus's sake. Paul says, listen, he goes, we're not, we're not pushing ourselves. We're pushing Jesus as Lord. We're, we're not trying to get you to follow Paul. I'm not trying to get you to be a disciple of Jeff. You don't have to join Grace Church to go to heaven, right? That's not it. We're not pushing ourselves. We're pushing Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. We'll take ourselves and invest ourselves in you. Here's my life. Here's my time. Here's my money. Here's my energy. Here's, here's, here's what I have. I will give myself to you. I will love you, be compassionate upon you. I'll be generous to you. I'll give myself to you so that you can see Christ. That word image in verse four is a fascinating word. It, uh, the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That word shows up all throughout the New Testament. And the word image, if you, if you take that word image and push it back into the Greek, it's where we get our word, our, our modern vernacular word of icon, is the image or the icon of God. And you'll see it, we're creating the image of God, the church is the image of God. We're the icon of God. This is what an icon is. An icon is, a, is something that points to a bigger picture. An icon is something that points to a bigger picture. So if I ask you, tell me an icon of the 1950s, you might say, who, who is someone who is an, a 1950s icon? It might be who, say it. Elvis, right, Elvis is a 1950s icon. When you think of Elvis, you think of the 50s, right? Who is a basketball icon? 
LeBron, yeah, do not say Michael Jordan, you will be kicked out of my church and probably heaven, right? So our, our LeBron, right? LeBron, right? So when you think of our LeBron, LeBron James, you think of basketball. He's a basketball icon. This is the idea. The church is an icon of Jesus. We don't come preaching ourselves. You have to come to the church and do what we tell you to do in order for you to go to heaven. That's called a cult. We come preaching Jesus, but when you hear Jesus, you're probably gonna hear it from us. So we bring ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. We'll love you, we'll feed you, we'll clothe you, we'll we'll be there for you in the dark times, we'll rejoice together, we'll have our wedding, we'll have the funeral. The church will be the proclamation, you'll sing our music. You're gonna hear it from us, but don't come to us, go to Christ. We can't save, but we can point to the one who does. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, yeah, this is, this is awesome. We, we, get, we get to be the icon of Jesus. We are an ambassador of Christ as if Christ himself were making his appeal through us, he says in another one of his writings. The church, me, you, us, the church, preaching Christ no big, there's no secret. We're not distorting anything. Said plainly, we're excited to say it, and we want to point you to Christ himself. Now, here's a risk and reward. There's a risk and reward. The risk is accusation. The risk is accusation. And guys, listen, the church is always going to be under accusation. You guys are about money. You guys are about control. You guys, no, all right, whatever. I mean... Because the eyes of the unbelieving are blinded, see? So there's always gonna be that accusation. There's always gonna be, you have a mixed motive. No, we don't, we're we're telling you straight up, but believe what you're gonna believe, right? So you're gonna have to endure it. The reward is proclamation. The disciples in Jerusalem were accused of having wrong motives. The early church was accused, Paul was accused of having wrong motives. It's nothing new but they would not back off and they would not apologize. And 2,000 years later, billions of people know about the name of Jesus Christ. So we don't, we don't, we don't walk away from that. It's just the risk, it's gonna come with the territory. But the payoff is huge. Now, if you think it's a drudgery, you won't take that risk. It's amazing to me how many people will not upset someone They'll surrender what they believe immediately because somebody disagrees with them or somebody doesn't think it's fair. Right? There's, a, there's a risk. But if it's, a, if it's the greatest calling of my life, I'm not gonna be able to shut up about it. So when the accusation comes, they'll love you through it, it's okay, I don't hate you, I just don't agree with you. Right? And the name of Jesus continues to be proclaimed. He goes on then, Throughout the passage, he says, he goes on and he in essence says, this is, this is gonna be hard, look at verse seven. He says, we have this treasure, what? This ability, this ministry. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And Paul in essence looks and he says, guys, 
Here's the tricky thing with all this. This ministry is entrusted to these jars of clay to humanity. And the humanity, we're going to mess up and we're going to undergo persecution and we're going to go undergo hard times as we proclaim this message, right? The most difficult part of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus is we're the ones that proclaim it. So imperfect people are proclaiming a perfect message. And we're going to do that through our imperfections. So you could, you could walk out of here this, this weekend and you could say, that Jeff Bogue, he is attractive. I've got to give him that. But he, he is a, he's an idiot. He's the biggest hypocrite I've ever met. And if you made that accusation at me, I would look at you and I would say, you know what? You're right. I am a hypocrite. You say that we should have a pure thought life. I bet you he thinks nasty thoughts. I do. Raise your hand if you have a perverted mind. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. I'm going to look at what the Bible says, and in my humanity, I'm going to struggle to apply it. I'm going to look at what God wants, and in my humanity, I'm going to struggle to apply it. He says we should tithe with joy, but he wants a new boat. I do. Right? Now, I'm not going to manipulate you to get it. I'm not going to say, hey, if you don't buy me a boat, you're going to go to hell. Although that, it works. Right? I'm going to struggle because this treasure is in this jar of clay. See? I'm going to misspeak. I'm gonna, and by the way, every member of the church is going to do that. We're going to fail, we're going to blow it, we're going to say something dumb, we're going to fall short, we're going to mess up. It's not going to destroy or to ruin or strip away what we're motivated to do, but we're going to do it imperfectly. So the Apostle Paul says, yeah, that's the way this works. Part of this is so that you can see it's from God, not from us, because we're idiots. God doesn't fail, but we're going to do it all the time. But this is the way it works. This perfect message is always going to be preached by very imperfect people, and it's always going to be preached in very imperfect ways. Now, the risk is this. The risk is failure. When God entrusted this message to humans, how many times have humans screwed it up? Starting with like Peter and Paul, right? All the way through, you're going to see human, you can point to human failure through the church a, a million times. A billion times, a trillion times, whatever the national debt is, that many times, right? The risk is failure. The risk is your dad is going to tell you one thing and not live it out perfectly. Your mom is not going to measure up to your expectations. Your friend is going to let you down. The risk is failure. Paul says, but we don't stop. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're pressed down, but we're not destroyed. We don't stop because the reward is an awakening. It's an awakening. As these jars of clay struggle, we proclaim the good news of Jesus. This is why, for instance, in, in the uh, Middle Ages, or in the church, when, when the church was first born, as the Christians were being persecuted in Rome, it was the, the people who got it first were not the wealthy and the elite. The people who got the gospel first, who it made sense to first, were the slaves. Because they would watch the, persecuted, the Christians be persecuted, literally watch them be burned at the stake, 
and they would see that even as their bodies were dying, they would not deny Christ. And, they, and it caused an awakening. The, the next time this happened in a big way was in the, oh, about a century later, plague swept through Europe. The elite and the wealthy and the secularists who were afraid to die all fled the cities to get away from the plagues. You know who stayed? The Christians stayed because they weren't afraid to die. They weren't afraid of the temp- of the body dying. And it was the poor and the slave class that first responded because they looked and said, everybody else abandoned us, why are you guys hanging around? It caused an awakening as they watched human beings in their humanity actually live out what they believed even though they lived it out imperfectly. So it happens all the time. When we, the church, don't back away from the calling and the ministry that God has entrusted us with, powerful things happen even as we present this truth in failed and frail ways. Paul goes on in verse 15, he says, guys, all of the, everything I'm talking about here, this is for you, it's not for us. This is all for your benefit. So the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. The church does not exist for the sake of the church. The church exists for the sake of the world. The reason that when you accept Jesus, you don't go to heaven instantly, is so that you can stay here and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church does not exist to make itself happy. The church exists to proclaim the gospel of Christ. So that we exist for the benefit of another. And by the way, this is the essence of visionary leadership. A visionary leader, what they do is they believe something for someone else who cannot yet believe it for themselves. They believe something for someone who cannot yet believe it for themselves. And this is what the church does. We would look at a community and say, you need the hope of the gospel. That community is necessarily saying, hey, somebody bring the gospel over here. We're gonna look and say, we believe something for you that you don't believe for yourself yet. We believe that God can change a community. We believe that God can alter a life. We believe that God can save a soul. We, you two think your marriage is dead. You think you hate each other. We don't accept that. We're gonna pray that God changes him and God changes her because we believe that God can resurrect every relationship. I don't believe that. Well, we believe it for you. So we're going to pray for you. We're gonna give you something that you're not asking for yourself yet. And this is what the church has always done. When when the apostles and the missionaries were sent out of Antioch, there weren't people saying, hey, I hope we get some missionaries over here. There was the church believing that there is one way to heaven, there is one true God, his name is Jesus Christ, and we're gonna take that news to people. It's a visionary leadership. And this is what Paul's saying. We don't do this for us, we don't do it to get money, we don't do it to get fame, to get attention. We do it for you. We want the grace of God to affect more and more people. And that's what motivates us and that's what drives us and that is everything that moves the church forward. He goes in in verse 16 and he says, he kind of wraps it up and he says, guys, therefore, we do not lose heart. Remember, back in verse one, we have this mercy, so this ministry, so we do not lose heart. This is why we don't lose heart. Because we know who Christ is. We know what he's called us to. We're not trying to accomplish something for ourselves. We're trying to give the grace of God away to the world around us. Therefore, we did not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We don't fix our eyes on the stuff all around us. We don't live for the new boat and the new car and the promotion and the right zip code. That's not what drives a Christian, a church. We live for the unseen. We live for what God can do in your soul. We live for the supernatural way that God can move through a group of people. We live for the eternal. We don't look and say, oh, I'm going to go to church and all oh, I get's a crown. We get to say, hey, I get to be the church and I get to have a crown in heaven. I got to give money. I want a new bow. Yeah, I get to lay up for myself treasures in heaven where rust and moth will not destroy. We live for the eternal. And the eternal is what drives us. The eternal is what motivates the risk. The eternal is the reward that we long for because it's what Christ has promised to his church. See how that works? It's a big deal. Big, big deal. Because this becomes a life-defining process for you as an individual and then us corporately. When I look and say, this, this is who I am. I am the church. This is my life's work, the work of the church. And I will be rewarded. It's hard and difficult and it costs money and all those things that we all know goes with it, but who cares? Because light and momentary, eh, go away. Look at what we get. Look at the reward we get. We get to help the lost know the one who loves them. Now, guys, when you look at the church from Jerusalem forward, this is what God has done because God's people saw themselves for who they are. And when I pray, I pray that God will actually just keep doing through Grace Church what he has done already. Grace Church is, a, is approximately 65 years old-ish, right? So we were started in the 40s in Barberton with 30 or 40 people. Over those 65 years, Grace Church, if you brought everybody into the buildings at once, like Christmas and Easter, Grace Church would have about 7,000, a little more than 7,000 people that would call Grace Church your home. So from 30 to 40 people to 7,000 people over 65 years, that's a 17,000% growth over 65 years. So when I pray, all I pray, I actually don't pray a very bold prayer, all I ask God to do is I would like for him to do in the next 65 years what he did in the first 65 years, I would just like to see a 17,000% growth. That's it. 17,000% of 7,000 people is 1.2 million people. All I'm asking for is that Grace Church becomes a church of 1.2 million people, right? Now, some would look at me and say, Jeff, you're an idiot. And that is so true on so many levels, you have no idea. <laughs> but not on, not on this particular point, right? That's ridiculous. That's not ridiculous at all. You slap, in, slap any business phrase you want on it, right? Best indicator of future success is past success, compounding interest, $2 investment, slide edge, anything you want, go ahead. And I'm just asking for that. It's not remotely ridiculous that God would just steadily keep doing what he has done for 65 years for 65 more years. 65 years ago, those 30 or 40 people, 
The idea that they'd be a church of 7,000 when they couldn't even afford to pay a pastor because they were meeting in a living room in Barberton, you might as well have said 1.2 million. But what they did was they faithfully executed what it means to be a church. I was talking to Pastor Bob Combs, who is the, the man that I took Grace Church over from, my mentor down at Norton still, and I was talking to Bob one day. I said, hey, Bobby, I said, what, over these years, what, what have you learned? Like, what, what did you do? You, you, took a, you took a church. Bob came in the, in the early 80s through four decades of unbroken growth. What, what, what was the deal? And he looked at me. You kind of have to know Bob to appreciate this fully, but he looked at me. He goes, Jeff, he goes, I don't know. I don't know, except he's short. He's like, Jeff, I don't know, you know? And he goes, uh, he goes I love this, he goes, I was just too dumb to quit. He goes, you know what I am? And he goes, I'm a ditch digger. I just kept digging. And and every time I didn't know what to do, I just swing the pick again. I was just too dumb to quit. He'll tell you that. It does not take a superstar to grow the church of Jesus Christ. It does not take a new formula. It doesn't take an undiscovered thing. There is nothing that Grace Church is doing that hasn't been done a thousand times before us. There's nothing especially unique about Grace Church. What it takes is the whole of the church, every individual in it, because I am the church and the work of the church is my work. It just takes a bunch of people who are too dumb to quit who just look at God's word and say, you know what, in a simple faith, I'll just, yeah, I'll do that. I'll give my life to that. Yeah, uh, man, that's amazing that the God of the universe would save me, invite me in to be a part of his work. Yeah, that'll drive my life. I'm just too dumb to quit. And all the way back in Jerusalem, we know the apostles, and we know some of the early church because the Bible... We don't know millions, billions of Christians who between then and now have just been too dumb to quit. They just look at the Bible and they say, it's not really that sophisticated. Let's just tell people about Jesus. We don't exist for ourselves. We don't exist for entertainment. We don't exist for tradition. In fact, we don't believe that God exists for us. We don't think it's God's job to give us whatever we ask God to give us. We believe that we exist for God. And God says to love, and God says to preach Jesus, and God says to advance the gospel. Guess we'll do that. And that's what's happened for 65 years at Grace, and there is zero reason to worry that it can't happen again, because we're just too dumb to quit. That individually, we take what God has called every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus to and do it. And if we do that, there, there literally is, is no end in sight of what God will do. Now here's the risk. The risk is underestimating God. I don't wanna, I don't wanna get to heaven and stand before God, and the Bible says every human being will, right? So it's going to happen. I don't wanna get to heaven and stand before God, and we, corporately as a church, we're standing before God, and we look at God and say, God, we brought you thousands. Here they are, thousands. 
Aren't you proud of us? We're a mega church. We're so, in that incredible God, thousands of people. I don't want to stand before God and offer him thousands and have God look at us and say, that's fantastic, thank you. You know, if you would have asked me, I would have given you millions. But you, you underplayed it. You complicated it. You lost your spine. You thought it cost too much money. I would have given you more than you could have asked or imagined. Because when you love the lost, you're loving what I love. And if you're pursuing the lost and proclaiming the gospel, I will empower that all day, every day. Because that's what I called you out to do in the first place. I don't want to underestimate God. And that's the risk. The reward is reaching the lost. He knows 30, 40 people in Barberton, they didn't underestimate God. They're just too dumb to quit. We are their reward. It's that simple. And most of them are with the Lord, but just a few. And I guarantee you in heaven, they're so grateful that they have you and me instead of the new boat and the new car. It's simple. It's easy peasy. It's what the church has always done. And it doesn't take a doctorate to understand it. It takes a simple faith of simply looking and saying, this is who Christ is, this is who I am, this is what I've been invited to be a part of, I'm gonna give my life to that. And when we live that way, and we follow Christ that way, and we invest ourselves that way, the church of Jesus becomes unstoppable. I'm gonna ask the band to come out, and as they settle in, I just want to pray for you. That's how I wanna end our service this weekend. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna spend some time singing and worshiping, and during that time, I encourage you to pray, and you to respond to God individually. But I I just wanna pray for you, for us, and ask God to, uh, to continue to work through us. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. And I, I believe that, God. If, if I am praying to the air right now, I guess I'm in trouble, but I'm not. And I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you are God. I choose to believe that. Thank you for the work that you've done in my life. Thank you for the work that you do in each of our individual lives. And thank you for drawing us together as a church. God, help that truth to settle deeply in our soul. And when we read your word and we feel your prompting, that we we feel that individually and then we feel that corporately. God, do through grace what you have done. Do more. And God, wherever you lead, whatever you want, whatever door you open, whatever the price tag, give us the courage and the passion and the motivation to follow you, God, and to not grow weary in the process. And I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of this church full of brave people 
God, lead us forward. Give us the opportunity to do more and more for you. And thank you for the privilege. We love you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.